Well, today, I want to talk to you about, are you ready for this? Icky feelings. Yep, icky feelings. I think that most of the time when we have, uh, when we think about sin or we have an opportunity to confess sin like we did earlier in the service, uh, we tend to think of the big thing. Maybe the, the things that we said that we really wish we hadn't said, or the things that we did that we really wish we hadn't done. And when we have those, we confess them. But the reality is that those comprise only a small you know, fraction of our issues. Because our issues are more or less, for most of us, I think, unseen. They hide deep within our hearts. And in our text this morning, uh, Jesus sort of pries those open and gives us access to them in a way that we don't normally have access. He tells us a story that really highlights some of those icky feelings that we don't want to have and we wish would go away, yet they're still there. I think you'll probably recognize that when I read you the story, but I want to give you a hint about what to look for. When I read the story, I want you to notice some people in the story who have resentment and others who have anxiety. It's the resentment and the anxiety are those are the icky feelings that so much hide themselves from view and cause us so many problems. Now, <laughs> if you listen to messages like I do, you're probably sitting there thinking, good, he's talking to somebody else. It has nothing to do with me. But these icky feelings are the kind of uh, things that you feel when the boss gives a raise to someone who hasn't been on the job as long as you. Even though you're getting paid what they agreed to pay you, still feels crummy. It's the kind of feeling that you have when you've been doing all the right things. I mean, you know, you've been reading your Bible, you've been praying, you've been going to church, you've been doing the things you're told to do, kind of expect, God's going to like this. God's going to... You're going to treat me pretty good for this. And it never materializes. It's like never there. You're thinking, what is happening? The wicked prosper, but I don't. What is going on? There are a lot of varieties of these kinds of feelings, but if you have them, you are not alone. A recent study showed that American Christians today struggle with this more now than ever. It says that churchgoers are more likely today than they were five years ago to believe that God wants them to prosper financially. So I just throw that out there, and that's sort of a throwaway statistic, until you realize what is underneath that, that part of what I think should happen is that God should make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
if I do what he wants me to do. That I have some kind of bargain with God. Also, in the last five years, the number of people who say that they have to do something for God in order to receive material blessings from God has almost doubled. In other words, I don't know if it's something about the pandemic, but all of a sudden now, in a renewed way, American churchgoers expect external blessings for good behavior. In fact, three out of four churchgoers believe that God wants them to prosper financially, which is a lot. You look around the room and do the math, three out of four, right? There are a lot of you out here then. Statistically speaking. But of course, it's the kind of thing that remains hidden and we don't really talk about it at church. We might deal with it when we go home, but we don't talk about it here. Well, the story that Jesus tells us gets at these icky feelings. It gets at this, these desires that God would, well, pay us off. That He would buy us what we want to be bought. So, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 20. It's the first uh, gospel in the New Testament, and we're in chapter 20. Um, Matthew chapter 20. We just have read about a rich young man who came to Jesus and said, hey, I've got kind of all I need, and I've been keeping the commandments. What do I need to do to to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor. And the man went away sad. And then Peter hears that, and Peter says, we've left everything, what about us? And so there are all these people talking to Jesus about what kind of deal they can strike with him so that they get something good when they give him something good. And so Jesus says, okay, okay, okay. Got to tell these guys a story so they get it. So here he tells us the story in response to those two um, occasions. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out, About the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll give to you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, Each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. 
But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last, the first will be la- the last will be first, and the first last. So the last will be first, and the first last. The generosity of God is no reason to consider Him unfair. The generosity of God, in fact, is reason not to worry if the world doesn't work like you think it should. Because either you're going to have to decide, is God generous or not? Is He good or not? Can I trust Him or not? If I say it another way, the icky feelings that we have are most often a symptom of our distrust in God's goodness or generosity. And so let, let's just take a look again at the story because this is, this is a fun story. Uh, because it just, it isn't the story I would tell. And it isn't even really the story I want to hear, but I think Jesus has fun with it as he tells it. It starts out by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who owned a vineyard. This master of the vineyard is the focal point of the story. So, there are lots of details here, but the one thing you need to pay attention to is this master of the vineyard. What do we think about him? What does he do? How does he behave? What are we to learn from him? The master takes things personally. See, most of the time they'd send a, a, a foreman or they'd send a, another hired man down to the marketplace and that's where that functioned as like the job um, office or the the job fair, where people would mill about looking for work, wondering if anybody had work in uh, the field. But instead of sending somebody else, the master himself went. The master himself took the initiative. The master himself went after more and more people when they had little or no initiative of their own. He didn't delegate it and he didn't mail it in. This master pursued people for his vineyard. Now, you might think that's a minor point, and it may be, but it does point us to reality. It points us to the work of Jesus, doesn't it? Because 
God doesn't delegate the rescue of the world. God doesn't leave it for someone else to take care of. He doesn't take a chance that people will somehow come to their senses and find Him. No, the Bible tells us that God went. That Jesus became a man and lived among us. And the story of the Gospel is that God pursued us. Just like the master of the vineyard pursued these workers. Well, he goes out early in the morning. In these hours, the, the hour references, if you're reading it in the ESV, some, there are some translations that actually turned it into like uh, our time. But it starts out early in the morning, probably 6. The third hour would be 9. The sixth hour, 12. The ninth hour, 3. The eleventh hour, 5. The day's over at 6, more or less. That would be the workday. And he starts out there early in the morning. And he finds the people that are there looking for a job and he, he writes a contract with them. Let's pay you a denarius. A denarius really is a day's wage. I mean, it's just sort of the, the simple economy of the agrarian society was that they would work for a day and they get paid in the night. In the evening, they get paid a denarius. So when you hear that um, coinage spoken of in the Bible, think of it as a day's wage. So, you know, one of the times that when it's a big factor is when Jesus feeds 5,000, the disciples say, I don't know how, how in, take 300 denarii to feed everybody or whatever the number was, I don't remember. But it's a full year's worth of wages to feed all these people. So it's a, a denarius is a day's wage. So he agrees with them, I'll pay you a fair wage. Okay? They say, yeah, that's why we're here. That's, that's the whole point. And so they agree. And then... He goes out the next time and says, I'll pay you what's fair. And he continues to go out and they continue to have sort of verbal agreements that he will pay them what's fair and they get to the end. And he hires people for one hour. And if you think about it, I mean, it, it should bother you that he does this, right? He's got one hour left. He must have grapes spoiling on the vine like Tonight. So he goes down there, one hour left, and he talks some people into going and working. I mean, how much work can they get done in an hour? Probably takes them 20 minutes to walk to the farm, right? They don't have very long. But he pursues them nonetheless, even when they're not going to do that much for him. And that's kind of the story. And then the story turns when he says to the foreman, let's pay them. But, Let's pay them in reverse order. Let's pay them backwards. And I'm just going to say that this part of the story makes me really nervous. Because, you know, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I've tried to get along with people. And one of the things I know you have to do to get along with people is you've got to get stuff in the right order. I mean, one of the things that yeah, I'm not even going to, I was going to tell you a story, but it's best left unsaid. Because it happens all the time. Somebody gets ahead of themselves 
and then someone gets disappointed or mad at them, right? That's what's happening here. But the point of the story is the master knew that would happen. So rather than just pay first in, first out, he said, let's switch it. And I'm like, no, don't do it. And he does it anyway. The question is then, and the thing that the story sort of hangs on, is why does he do it? Why does he turn the story or the payment schedule around? Well, he, t- he turns the payment schedule around, I think, so that everyone gets the point, not just those who came to work at 5 o'clock. Now, I'll get back to that in just a minute. But the point of that is that they, he wants everyone to see that he is just and generous. Now, you're in church. You're supposed to say, well, of course, God's just and generous. Of course. Right? That's what you say when you're in church. But Jesus has just a way of poking just a little bit more than that at us. And I wish he wouldn't, but he does. Because this is like, he, like, he probably told the story for a number of reasons. There's several layers here. One of the layers, I think, has to do with the fact that there were, there were probably religious leaders listening in around the edges. Because they were always spying on Jesus. They were always looking for some way to pick a fight with Jesus. And so he tells this story in part for them because there was an agreement with the first workers and who would have been the first people in on God's program? The Jews. The Jews, right from Abraham. From Abraham on, they were the ones that were God's chosen people. They were first in. And so they, these religious leaders especially spent their time thinking about really how wonderful they were. Really how much they had it together. And Jesus is probably telling this story so that they realize, you know what? The first one's in and the last one's in. You get the same thing. And the last one's in likely would have been the Gentiles. It would have been all the people they didn't like, right? The Gentiles, the tax collectors, the sinners. All the people, they, they shouldn't even get in at all. But they not only get in, he reverses the order of payment and said, yeah, they get the full thing. And they're like, I hate it when he does that. What are you supposed to make of this story that Jesus tells here? What's the, how's this supposed to strike us in a way that helps us um, make a difference in our lives. So, the first thing that I want to point out is probably the most obvious and hopefully the most simple. And that is that this story, Jesus told this story to illustrate the point that he was making right before and right after the story. So, that's kind of how you know what the point of the story is, Okay. Because Jesus says it, he tells a story, he says the point again. Okay, It's not hard. The point at the beginning, first will be last and last first. The point at the end, 
The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. What do you suppose the point of the story is? Yeah, the last will be first, the first will be last. That's the point of the story. Now, that, that's the point because people weren't getting that. Peter didn't get that. Right before, right up above, if you look, Peter, Peter says, we've left everything and followed you. What do we get? Peter, 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 you're asking the wrong question. You're going to be okay. You don't have to fight for your own thing. Because the first are going to be last and the last are going to be first, Peter. Let me tell you a story. That's what Jesus was doing. There was right before that, right? This rich young man comes and he's feeling first. We know, we're told that he's wealthy. Not only that, he's privileged with his religion. So he knows what God wants. He's kept all the commandments, but he still has this nagging feeling inside. Now what? Jesus said, um, tell you what, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have eternal life. And he turns and he walks away. It says, so Jesus went to him first, wasn't it? He was an early morning guy. And the master of the vineyard says, hey, tell you what, this is what you got to do to come work in the vineyard. He says, eh, no thanks. I'm going to go home and watch TV. I don't, really, I don't really want it to work that way. So everyone's having a hard time with this first being last and the last being first. And so Jesus tells this story to make it more clear to us, to help us feel what it feels like when you want to be first, but you're not first. Or to worry that you're last. So he just tells us the story. Well, that's the first reason. This story is in here. I think the second reason is because that illustrates the fact that the kingdom of heaven is upside down. You'll notice that's how it starts, right? The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Which tells us that whatever, whatever this story is about, it's about the way that Jesus runs his kingdom. The kingdom is going to be upside down here. It's not going to work like everything else in your life works. It's not going to work like school where you study and study and study and study and get a good grade and then get a job. It's not going to work like your job where you work hard so that you get paid more or you get a bonus or you get a promotion. It's not going to be that this for that. Not the way it works. It's going to be upside down. There's going to be this surprise element of lavish grace that you don't have in the real world. This is the way the kingdom of heaven works. So that's, I think, the, the other reason that Jesus tells this story like he tells so many, the kingdom of heaven, like a mustard seed or whatever. He always tells stories to help us get just a little more clear on what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then I think he tells us this story to help us deal with our icky feelings. To raise them up, help us see them, and then come to grips with the fact that, yes, that's really here in my own heart. 
The first of the icky feelings that, is, that you cannot miss in this story is resentment. Verse 10, verse 10 actually says the quiet thing out loud. Verse 10 says, they thought they would receive more. What's the problem? They thought they'd receive more. They're resentful. They didn't get more. Now think about this. I'm glad, aren't you, that this is everyone else's problem? But this really is the kind of thing that we deal with all the time. That I deserve more. I mean, you got... You worked hard on your yard. You pay somebody to take care of it, right? And along comes the neighbor with their dog. And they're walking along and they stop on your yard. You thought there was no icky feelings there, right? What's happening here? Why is that dog doing its business on my yard? Why is that a problem for you? I deserve better. It should be better than that for me. Maybe, that, maybe that's not a problem for you. That's a problem for me. Or I look around. This, this, today's, today I'm happy to be in Oregon, right? It's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be great to be outside this afternoon. It's going to rain next week. Just going to break it to you right now. And next week, what's going to happen, it's going to rain for several days in a row. And you're going to get on Facebook or Instagram. And there's going to be somebody, it's not your favorite person, but they're, in your, they're your friend. They're going to be vacationing somewhere beautiful. And you're, you're just going to say, like, why them? Why do they get to go there and I don't get to? I just got to keep working. And then when I quit working, it's dark. Because that's coming next week, too. Just telling you. And then it's going to be rainy. And it's not fair. I deserve better. See, that resentment, that, I mean, we have it. We have it, and we don't want it, and it doesn't go away. And it shows up at the most surprising times. And it's natural. It really is natural for us to be resentful. I will say that it's, it can also be spiritual. A spiritual resentment might be ickier even than natural resentment. For instance, there was a day when I was young and we had babies in the nursery. And I remember the young moms talking and resenting the fact that they were with the kids all the time, and then instead of getting a break at church, they had to be in the nursery, not only with their own kids, but with other people's kids. And they resented it. At the same time, there were the older generation that just said, I've done my time in the nursery. I resent being asked. And so you've got both sides full of resentment toward each other. Over what? Over what some people think is like the best job ever.
It doesn't just happen there. It happens all over. You have somebody working with young people, and they don't know, right? People don't know how late you have to stay up for that pizza party and wait around until the parents finally come. They don't know how early you have to get up for a coffee cart. And pretty soon, no one says thank you, and it's like, ugh. Or just imagine, just imagine musicians. Musicians who hear people complain about the music. Yet they serve the church as though it doesn't bother them. But you see, there is resentment everywhere, isn't there? And, I mean, I just hit a few, and I'm sure there are some people who are actually a little bit upset with me for mentioning those. And guess what? That icky feeling is part of it, too. Jesus tells this story to highlight the fact that that's buried deep down in there. But that isn't the only icky feeling. The other icky feeling that is here is also just, a, it surprises us. And that, we would label that now, we would label that anxiety. I don't know if they would have labeled it that then. But here you've got this, here you've got these people at the 11th hour. They're there, the day's gone, they're uh, sitting in the marketplace, standing in the marketplace, and the master goes and finds them and says, why are you standing here? And their answer is this. Their answer is, no one's hired us. We're at, we can't control the situation. It's on somebody else. They didn't do for us what needs to be done. It's out of our control. What are we going to do? What are we going to go tell our wives? How am I going to explain to her I'm not bringing my denarius paycheck home tonight? They're wondering, okay, how am I going to feed my children? There's all, all kinds of things going on here, but at the root of it, the situation's out of their control. And so they're anxious. Not only that, but I suppose if they're good, if they were uh, good Jews who had been to synagogue, they would probably also be thinking, why is, why is no one taking me to work? Why am I not... Why is no one hiring me? I prayed to God this morning that someone would, would hire me. And no one's hired me. God is withholding His blessing from me. What's wrong with me? All of these things are happening in this story. And those icky feelings of resentment and anxiety show up when we don't want them to show up. And Jesus wants to expose that so that we can be healthier and we can learn what He wants us to learn here. Because essentially both of those are symptoms of a deeper issue. And the deeper issue, the deeper issue shows up next. The deeper issue is this that Jesus told this story so that we might be certain that uh, God is full of grace. That 
People relate to God by grace, not by duty. Now, that is something that I can't just say and leave it alone. Because, again, we're in church. We all say, yes, we're all in favor of grace here, right? But we go back and we're faced with adversity. We're faced with something that doesn't work right. And we, deep down, not, not the surface of what we say, but deep down, say, you know what? God's getting back at me. God is treating me like I deserve. Or, the other side, the resentment side, God isn't treating me like I deserve. What's wrong with Him? And the reality is that God treats us, God relates to us by grace and not through duty. See, we, just like us, these people in the story were really, really used to, to the world working a certain way, where God helps those who help themselves. That, as though that were in the Bible, right? They believe it as though it's in the Bible. But Jesus tells the story and he turns this around so that he pays the, the, the last people first and the first people last. He, he does that so that everyone gets the same picture. Everyone recognizes this lavish generosity of God, that God is full of grace. And it's important that everyone sees it because most of us, okay, and I'm just going to guess uh, about you again, forgive me, but I'm assuming you're like me on this, so this is probably a safe guess. I'm guessing that you think that grace is for some of the people, that the really bad people, they really need grace. Or the people who are last in, they're the ones that need grace. There are some people that just can't do it themselves. They need grace. Okay? They're in this story. Jesus does tell this story to include them. But he turns it around so that everyone gets the perspective that all of them need grace. The first people in are not somehow working off a different rule than the last people. It's not as though the first people in say, yeah, yeah, we're going to get it good because we really did a lot for God here today. But see, most of us think of ourselves like we're in that category. We're doing pretty well. God should do pretty well by us. And see, when those thoughts creep in, that's when we need this story. Because the way that God relates to people 100% of the time is by grace. It is not a bargain. God is not setting out to bargain with you where you do this for Him so He does this for you. Maybe He'll even be better so you have to do more. It, that is not the way it works. God relates to people by grace, through faith, period. And we know that because really of the last thing that this, this story tells us. last thing it tells us is that God is, God is by nature generous. He is generous and good. And 
he punctuates that with, the, with that last sentence, right? Did you, you see that? He, they, he talks to this friend and says, am I not free to do with mine what I'd like? God is free to shower you with way more blessing than you deserve. Or not to. And to shower someone else. And he's free. That's the point of the story. And then the next sentence, the very last one at the bottom, says, or do you begrudge my generosity? Are you upset because I'm generous? What a great question. In other words, we think we're earning it and other people aren't, so he's good to them and somehow not paying us enough. And we are both resentful and anxious. And these zicky feelings are everywhere because we underestimate the generosity and the goodness of God. Let me just say, don't don't think that you should insist on fairness from God. Because our, in our lexicon, we typically treat fairness as a synonym of justice. When we mean fairness is that everyone gets treated equally. So they get paid a denarius for 12 hours of work. The last people in should have got one twelfth of a denarius. In other words, everyone's paired, paid fairly. But really, justice means that, e- that um, everyone receives what they deserve. Did the first workers deserve a denarius? Yes. That's what they agreed to. Did the last workers re- deserve a denarius? No, but they got more than one-twelfth of a denarius like they did deserve. They got better than they deserved. In other words, what we really want from God is justice, where we, people get what they deserve. Well, we want that until we don't. Until when what we deserve is like condemnation or judgment. Then we hope for mercy and grace, which is really where we get to in this story, isn't it? Do you begrudge my generosity and my grace that I can give to people more than they deserve, better than they deserve? Am I not free to do that? I can be trusted, the master of the vineyard is saying. And you see, ultimately, that's the question. That's the question that every time you have that icky feeling, okay, every time I wanted to raise the question for you, Where in this am I not trusting God? Where am I believing that He is not generous or that He is not good? Because those are your, those, that's a root cause. Your disbelief is the root cause of those icky feelings. And Jesus turns this story around so that we see that. Because we ultimately, We ultimately commit sin not because we said something bad or did something bad, but because deep down we have distrusted 
the character of God. And here the story highlights the generosity and the goodness of God so that it exposes, I hate it when it does that, but it exposes my lack of trust in the goodness and generosity of God. When in fact, that's exactly the story of the gospel. There is nothing ungood, nothing ungenerous about Jesus leaving heaven, uh, surrendering all of the glory of heaven, coming to live on earth, die on a cross, a criminal's death, so that you and I might be reconciled to God. That gospel, that good news, that story that we are told in the Scripture about how God is rescuing people, even at the 11th hour, is all grace. And so it's my hope and prayer that God will use this message, that God will use those feelings that show up when you don't want them to show up, so that you are alert to the places in your life where you fail to trust God. And may that cause you to turn again to the, to the grace and the generosity He gives you in Christ and trust Him anew. Let's pray. Lord, great God and Father, we do want to trust Jesus this morning. I pray that you would help each person here to surrender, to give up, trying to please uh, you, to bargain with you, to do good enough. But Father, would you help? Would you help each of us to trust your character that you have given more to us in Jesus than we could ever hope for or imagine? And so we renew again this morning our trust in him and ask that you would help us to worship now and to express that trust as we sing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.